and good morning, everybody. Thank you, Callie and Steve, for setting us up well this morning. And happy Mother's Day to all of you moms out there. This is not specifically a Mother's Day message. This is a message in our series from the book of Daniel. However, I guarantee you that there will be some principles and some things in this message that are going to really specifically speak to moms. So hang in there with us, moms. There's something for you today in Daniel chapter 9, where we have arrived. Daniel 9, we're going to take the first chunk of this chapter, verses 1 through 19, because we would be here until 3 p.m. if we went through the entire book. And we're not going to do that because you need to celebrate with your family, I hope. Today we arrive at Daniel's prayer for Jerusalem, which means that he's praying for something that was prophesied by another of his contemporaries, Jeremiah, prior to the event happening, when they would eventually get to return, the Jews would get to return to their home country of Israel and to their home city of Jerusalem. Today, Daniel 9, we're going to take it in two parts, as I mentioned. Today, we're going to tackle Daniel's prayer for Jerusalem. Next week, we get to look at some numbers. Remember last week when I said that sometimes uh, we're not sure whether we should take numbers in prophetic books as being literal or symbolic, but usually they are literal when they have to do with a historic event. Ah, I think that's going to be the case in next week's message about the 70 weeks and what they mean, and uh, found some good information about that, which I think is going to point ahead in time to something that's going to be an even more exciting fulfillment, and it's sort of a good news, bad news sermon. So you're going to want to tune in for that, I hope, next week as well. But today, the prayer for a more immediate event in Daniel's life specifically, and for the people of Israel who are in exile in Babylon at that time. So we're talking today about the prayer for Jerusalem. Have you ever noticed how God will put something directly in your path? He'll drop something in your lap, maybe something into your inbox. Maybe you'll hear a song on the radio. Maybe he'll send somebody in a coffee chat that gives you just the right word, that gives you a little booster shot of encouragement, no pun intended to this whole COVID season vaccination program, but it's a booster shot where we really need it the most because it's in our attitude toward our current circumstances. And it gives us a little hope and it gives us enough to put some spring in our step and keep us going even though the going has gotten tough. I have a true story about something that happened when we needed a word of encouragement because one time on a Veterans Day holiday in Flagstaff, Arizona, when I was a young whippersnapper going to college in Flagstaff, and two of my college buddies and I hiked up to the top, the very peak of Mount Humphreys, which is the tallest of four in the San Francisco peaks, which is a volcanic series of peaks in northern Arizona. And Humphreys is the tallest, by the way, just in case you wondered, it's 12,637 feet above sea level. Thank you very much. And on a clear day from the top of Mount Humphreys, you can see to the west all the way to California and all the way north to the Grand Canyon in Arizona. And it is spectacular, let me tell you. But it's a difficult hike. And I remember Steve telling us a few weeks ago in one of our growth encounters about the kind of thing that can happen when you're so tired and you're trying to look ahead and it's hard to find a point, but you need to find a fixed point to look at so that you can just take little tiny 
goals, make goals for yourself and say, okay, I'm going to go from here to there. And then you reach that goal and you celebrate it. And then you pick the next goal and you think, okay, now I'm going to go from here to there because otherwise it just feels too big. It feels too overwhelming. Your muscles are throbbing and aching and you feel like, I don't think I can do this. Have we all felt a little bit of that this last 14 months? Maybe just a little bit. Well, God tends to do these little versions of encouragement in some fun ways. And one of the ways he did it on that hike was that we saw in a flat spot in a meadow just above the tree line when it was nothing but boulders and rock until we got to the summit, probably 200 yards. And there was an ammo box that had been bolted to the rock. And we thought, well, that's unusual. Somebody had to put that ammo box here on purpose. And so we opened it up and people had taken little notepads and scribbled notes and stuck them in the ammo box. And those notes were great. We needed them at just that point in the hike. Some of them would say things like, don't give up, you can do it. Another one said, the view is so worth it. Keep going to the top. And there were some that would say things like, oh, I wish I could get to the top, but a storm's brewing, gotta go back down again. It was interesting to have those little moments there, knowing that somebody else was at that same spot and that they wanted to speak a word into our lives just when we needed it. And that's what God does for us. And he's been doing that. In fact, he's been doing it in spades in my own life just this week. I've been praying a lot, uh, especially about our getting back into in-person worship, because I know that we've been in a different situation since we were in a rented school. It put us into a very difficult spot because if the school wasn't going to let outside organizations in, not just churches, but any organizations because of the pandemic, then we were without a building. And then we got to go back to fellowship in Celine and we got to fellowship with them at fellowship and do some in-person worship every other week on Sunday afternoons for a while. And then this other huge wave hit. And so we had to kind of put the pause button on for a little bit. So I, man, I've just been bummed. You know, I've been hitting the streets and walking and praying and talking to God a lot and saying, God, how long? Kind of like last week when Daniel had that question, how long, Lord, how long is it going to be before you do what you promised to do? And that's some of what he's going to be praying about today in terms of trying to hold God to his promise in getting Israel back to their homeland again. And I felt like we've been displaced, not in exile. We haven't been exiled like they were in Babylon, and it certainly hasn't been for 70 years. Whew, we pray it's not going to be that long, but I've just been praying a lot about that. And I've been praying about our church property as well, because it's been a long time since we started good work on it. And yet I've been reminded because of the study this week in chapter nine, that we need to look back at God's handiwork, to look back at what he has accomplished and recall those things that he has done for us, because those are mile markers that remind us he's not done with us yet. He wasn't done with Israel. He wasn't done with Daniel. Daniel had hung in there faithfully, even though there was no national revival, not like Nineveh when Jonah preached a paltry little petulant prophet sermon, and yet the whole nation had this great revival there. But he's not done with us. And Living Water, he's not done with you. He's not done with you on the job. He's not done with you with the people you've been praying for and trying to reach. He's not done with you and your family. He's not done with you and your kids. He's not done with you. He's got a good word for you today, and I'm glad you're here to hear it. 
Well, last week I was reading through some stuff, trying to get ready for this message, and I ran across the story and it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And it was such an encouragement. It was like finding a note in that ammo box. And I think it's going to be an encouragement to you too. So I wanted to be able to pass this along to you. It came from a lady named Peggy McDonald. Now we had our own little Peggy and uh, she was with us for several years and she was a prayer warrior as well. So this was the kind of prayer warrior Peggy in this other church that I read about, Peggy McDonald. She was in a church near St. Louis, Missouri. And way back in 1980, a lady named Peggy McDonald felt strongly impressed to start walking around this piece of property that she had noticed near St. Louis in St. Louis County. And she was praying that God would one day plant a church on that property. Well, that piece of land was just a whole bunch of trees and some weeds at the time she first noticed it and started prayer walking on the property. But she kept pouring her heart out as she would walk around that piece of property, calling out to the Lord, asking him to plant a church on that very spot. And I have to quote specifically from Peggy because she wrote down verbatim what she was thinking about in her prayer journal. And that got put into a book later. She said, and I quote, I asked God to do something powerful to make the land financially accessible to his people to do his work. As I walked the land, I talked with God and dreamed a little. I asked God to make this church a place where people could come and be made strong, a place where they didn't need to feel like they had everything together, a place where God and his people would help them put things together. And then I prayed that this church would not be just a refuge, but also a people who would reach out to the community with concern and say, I'm coming to your house like Jesus when he found Zacchaeus up a tree and said, I'm coming to your house. I prayed that this would be a church willing to reach out to people who were up a tree, so to speak, perplexed and searching, that they would not be too busy, but that they would be willing to say, if you can't come here, we'll go to where you are. Well, Peggy wrote that in her journal and she kept crying out to God. And even though she wasn't prayer walking on that property every day, she drove by the property often. And every time she drove by the property, she would pray for the property and for that future church that she just felt in her spirit that God would someday bring to fruition. Well, 1981 came, a year after she started that prayer walking. She kept praying. She prayed in 1982. She prayed in 1983 and 84 and more years to follow. And she didn't quit praying. Very little seemed to happen on that property. And then 10 years later, after Peggy had first started praying for that church and for that property, she saw that a corporation had begun cutting trees down on the property to clear it for something. And then she saw a sign that went up near the entrance to the property, which they had put in with graders. There were gonna be a bunch of condominiums built. And she was, as you can imagine, sorely disappointed. And she sighed and she shrugged her shoulders and she said, well, I guess maybe it wasn't God's will that there'd be a church on that property. Little did she know that God had been very busy behind the scenes, orchestrating plans that nobody else knew about. Little did Peggy know that she had laid hold of the power of heaven itself in those prayers 
and God's power was set in motion. Years after that prayer walk in 1980, the Twin Oaks Presbyterian Church was built on that property. And the condominium development fell through because they had cut too many trees and there was a zoning ordinance and people got upset and a radio station got hold of it and started putting the word out and that condominium plan got shut down. And guess who got to buy the property? <laughs> the church. And they got to pick up that property for a ridiculously low price. And you know why that grabbed me so much? Because that's very similar to our story. Remember, there was another developer that had plans. They had paid a lot of money for plans to be able to put in basically some condominiums, some sort of housing on that property that we now own. 7733 Bemis Road, we still own it. It's still God's property. Actually, God owns it. We're just managers. But man, hasn't it felt like it's been a long holding pattern? I was in a holding pattern one time in a storm coming back to Detroit after being on a mission trip, and it became really dangerous. In fact, we aborted a landing, and the pilot pulled up at the last minute and said on the speaker later after we pulled back up into the holding pattern, he said, well, I apologize for that, folks, but we had a wind shear warning at the last minute, and so we had to abort that landing, but we're going to go into a holding pattern, and we'll wait for this storm to pass, and then we'll land safely. And I'm glad he did. But that holding pattern seemed to go on for a long time. And pretty soon we started to be concerned because I thought, I sure hope they had a lot of gas in this thing. <laughs> Fortunately, they did. And because I'm here to tell you about it, clearly we had enough fuel to land the plane and I'm okay. But it feels like we've been in a holding pattern. And sometimes I've been asking God, God, are we going to run out of gas here? <laughs> Do we have enough fuel left in us to keep doing this thing? Because you promised us a long time ago that something was going to happen on that property. And we felt like we'd heard clearly from you. We were trying to discern your will. So I feel a little bit like this chapter came at a time in my history and in my life that I needed it. This was my ammo box note. And I'm grateful. The story of God's provision for a church that Peggy McDonald had prayed for and that chapter 9 in the book of Daniel reminded me to look back in our own history. And I want to share some of that history with you because it may have been a while since you've heard the story. Many of you who are listening in today will probably recall that we saw God's guiding hand at work when we sensed that it was time for us to even look for a piece of property. We took a little baby step, and I mean for us it was a tiny baby step compared to the mammoth task that lay before us. It was a little baby step of faith by just asking people in our congregation to write down one discernment Sunday what they felt God was leading them to give just toward a down payment on a piece of property. That's all we wanted, just a down payment. We thought we'll take one step at a time and we'll pray for God to show us what the next step is after that. But sometimes you got to step the foot in the water before he parts it, like Joshua crossing the River Jordan. So we were figuring, based on the price of properties in that time, that maybe $85,000 would be a, an appropriate amount to ask for from God and from his people for a down payment. Because we were figuring that we were going to have to pay anywhere from three hundred fifty dollars or 400000 maybe upwards to five hundred dollars or 600000 for a 10-acre parcel, which is what we felt God was leading us to purchase so that we could have a multi-tiered plan, different phases leading up to the expansion building up to what he felt he was going to do on that property in Ypsilanti Township. 
Well, on that discernment Sunday, the total amount pledged toward a down payment was 59000 It was $26,000 short of the eighty-five that we were asking for. You could clearly tell, I could tell, because I was looking at all the faces, I could tell that some people were disappointed. It was like, oh man, <laughs> we couldn't even come up with 85. We fell short, but others felt hopeful because it was like 26 is not that far away. We're not that far away. If we give what we felt that people were asking us to give, maybe that will motivate others and they'll want to pitch in too. But I was able to say, but wait, there's more. <laughs> we had big news to share. And some of you were there that day. You remember it. Between the time that we had started praying about what we felt we could give and the time we actually asked those uh, people who wanted to give to write that number down in these pledges, God had sent us somebody to start asking questions. And all those discussions led to a group of people who wanted to join with us in carrying out God's vision. Because said, they said, this is the same vision that we've been praying about we can put our efforts together and we're all reaching toward the same basic vision. So we'd like to join you. And as I shared some of that news, jaws were dropping, dropping all over the cafeteria in Lincoln High School because people couldn't believe that all these new people that they'd never seen before had shown up just that day because it was God's timing. I told the congregation that it felt to me like God had taken our small loaves and fish that we had given him and he had multiplied it in unthinkable ways. And then I said, also unthinkable, this group of people that were coming to join us had done something incredible because they had felt led to do something that was a step of faith and they sold a building, a nice building, a genuinely huge building, a building where a lot of people could have met for worship, but they felt like it was not the right building for their vision, for the God that had given them that specific vision. So they said, so we're gonna be able to sell it to another church that fits that demographic better, that has the right kind of vision for that style of building, because it was fairly traditional. And they had really felt led to reach out to people who would not be reached through traditional church buildings. That was one of the many things that God had led them to do, but I'm just trying to keep this short. <laughs> and so they had money, they stuck money in the bank and they were renting another place to meet as we had been renting as well. And they said, we'd like to bring the money and add it to your vision so that it's our vision. It's not gonna be us and them, it's gonna be us, all of us. It's just gonna be we together. And it's been that way ever since. And I was able to, to say something that felt incredible and miraculous. And some people had to blink several times and they gasped and they couldn't believe that I just said what I said. And I had to repeat it because I wasn't sure that maybe their brain had stopped. You know, it was like a Zoom meeting where the thing freezes. And I said, they brought $450,000 with them to add toward our vision. Now, compared to what I had just said about how much we had pledged toward what we hoped would be 85,000. And I said, but God has multiplied it and he's brought $450,000 on top of that. We almost became Pentecostal that morning. It was pretty close. Well, in the last 14 months, a lot of us have been asking, how long, Lord? How long is it going to be before fill in the blank? All kinds of things. How long is it going to be before we reach herd immunity? How long is it going to be before we 
finally figure out when we can go back and start becoming normal again. How long is it going to be before we have enough money to start actually building a building? We've been asking that now for several years. Well, Daniel's book has turned out to be just the right note in that ammo box for me this week. And I wanted so desperately to share it with you. And now I get to, <laughs> because I want this to be an ammo box moment for you too. It's the same God that we're serving today, folks, in 2021 on Mother's Day that Daniel served over 500 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And it's the same God who orchestrated all those events and who prophesied specifically that Messiah would be born in Bethlehem at the right time. God knows the right time. And he's still just as powerful today as he was back then. I guarantee it. And boy, have I ever needed that booster shot. Our study at this specific portion of the book of Daniel should encourage all of us to keep hiking, keep our eyes on the prize, keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, because the view at the top, oh, it's going to be worth it. And this portion of Daniel should drive us even more deeply into prayer on our knees for God's will for living water and for our lives personally. So in Daniel chapter nine, we're gonna see this heartfelt prayer that we're looking at today. And then we're also gonna look at the very specific time of Daniel's prayer, because that factors into next week's study about the 70 weeks. We're gonna look at Daniel's attitude of prayer because it should affect our attitude as we drop to our knees in prayer about God's future for living water and his confession and how specific it was. And that should help us understand that our confession should be specific as well. And then next week, we're going to see uh, a huge, more in-depth look at the mercy of God. We get to touch on it briefly as a preface for next week today. But next week, we're really going to see God's mercy played out in answer to Daniel's prayer. And we're going to see the very specific time of God's answer as well. So for now, let me read to you Daniel 9, 1 through 19. And then I'm going to unpack a few of these specific details that I think are going to be an ammo box moment and a super duper encouragement to all of us today. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede, by descent, that would be Darius the Mede, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem, that exile in Babylon, would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth, and ashes. Sackcloth and ashes we'll look at later, but that was something of great mourning and super deep grief. Verse four, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and have done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame 
the people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us because of your unfaithfulness to you, we and our kings, our princes and our ancestors are covered with shame, Lord. That covered with shame gives a picture of what happened when they would literally cover their heads with ashes and sit in that rough cloth. They literally want to be covered in their shame. And he mentions that in his prayer. Because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful in forgiving, though, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. He's recognizing that there was willful intent in their refusal to obey those prophets. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. He's not mincing any words here. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing on us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sin and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster on us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. Now, Lord, our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned, we have done wrong. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. Wow. Let's pray together. Father, you can hear the, the anguish in Daniel's prayer. His confession is real and raw, and there's no holding back. I pray that we will learn from this prayer how we too must pray, and then we will act by praying. And I ask this in your name. Amen. About the specific time of this prayer. It was in the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom. Specifically, because we know all these dates now, that would be 538 BC. Hmm, that should sound familiar. And it's because it is, because we read about that in chapter 5 of Daniel. Remember I talked about the... Uh, chiasm, and you could fold some of these things in half, and that there were some chapters that touched each other, parallel chapters, because they add new detail coming into play. It's happening here again, folks. 
That's the same year as the handwriting on the wall. That was the year when King Belshazzar saw the handwriting and tried to get somebody to interpret what that meant. He had been weighed, hung in the balance, and he'd been found wanting. And tonight, it's going to be for you. That, that was the paraphrased, unpublished version. But anyway, he, he was going to be found wanting, and then God was going to deal with him. That was because Darius was hanging outside the gates, and he was going to send his soldiers in there because they dammed up the river. The river went down. They, they marched right in in the weakest place, which were right under the huge walls that they thought were going to keep them safe. And so Darius takes over, and Belshazzar is killed. So same date, and this is the same year of this prayer that Daniel just prayed. He's understanding all these terrible things have been happening. Jerusalem got sacked almost 70 years earlier. And so we now have a very specific date, and that becomes important in our future as well. Daniel recognized something. He had discerned that something important was happening through God's word. Well, who was the writer of that word? It was the inspired prophet of Jeremiah. Even though Jeremiah was a contemporary of Daniel, Daniel recognized that Daniel was reading God's word when he read Jeremiah's words. Interesting, is it not? God's word was recognized even so immediately after it had been penned. I think that's something that for some of the people today who might think, oh, this was just a collection of people and they wrote some things down sometimes years after they happened. No, when God inspires his word, it's his word and it can be counted on, it can be trusted. We can count God's word today as being trustworthy. Well, Daniel was getting on in years by this time, as you know, because he's been living through several kings in Babylonian history, and he knew that the 70-year period of desolation, of exile, would soon be coming to an end. He was taken into captivity among those in the first wave of captives out of Israel about 606 BC. That means that the 70 years should be ending around 536 BC. You subtract 536 from 538, what do you got? It could have been as early as two years away from that 70 years coming to an end. So boy, that ramps up Daniel's prayer, let me tell you. Let's look at Jeremiah's own words about Jerusalem. This is some of the stuff that Daniel was probably referring to. This is what the Lord says. When the 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. It's a big promise. And for Daniel to be clinging to this promise, he's going to be wanting to plead and beg with God to make good on this promise specifically. Let me read the next few verses because some of you... Uh, have probably read this on coffee mugs and placemats and other things because it's a, an often quoted verse, but sometimes we don't understand the context for it. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. That's what comes right after that. After 70 years of desolation, then I have plans to prosper you and not to harm you. It means that they had to go to the timeout chair of Babylon, and they had to suffer tremendously before verse 11 was gonna to come to fruition. Sometimes we want to grab a hold of verse 11 
from Jeremiah's words in Jeremiah 29, and we want God to do it right away. And he says, yeah, but I got some character building still to go yet. <laughs> and you've got some lessons you need to learn. And you need to learn how to lean fully on me and not keep trying to do things in your own strength. Let me keep reading from Jeremiah 29. This is verse 12. Then you will, when's then? After all this time of desolation, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. That's after you've learned some of your lessons. You will seek me and I, uh, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Sometimes it takes huge seasons of disappointment and loss before we are completely contrite in spirit so that we can seek him with all our hearts. And then verse 14, I will be found by you. That's a great promise, but we can't separate it from the 70 years of desolation. And I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord. I'm going to give you a chance to get out of the timeout room and you get to come back and be in a wonderful relationship. And I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile, says Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14. These are words about God's plans to prosper and not to harm. 70 years is a long time filled with a lot of lessons. We've been through 14 months, and I don't think we've seen anything near the kind of lessons <laughs> that Israel had to learn but we have needed to learn some lessons. Let's look at Daniel's attitude. It says that he prayed in sackcloth and ashes. I think it's important for us to understand that when we pray, we need to pray with all our hearts. I can't imagine how many friends and family members he must have lost because of all the terrible things that Antiochus IV did back there when he set up Jupiter in the temple and killed a bunch of priests and took over the city and sacked it. There must have been mourning and wailing, and they didn't have time to really uh, take stock of their losses, and so they've been feeling the grief of those losses over their entire exile in Babylon. And Daniel was young when all that happened back in Jerusalem. Some think he was probably as young as 16 years old when he went into Babylon. It's really easy for us to pray for God to fix a problem and we expect him to do it right away. And we're seeing in this situation that sometimes God needs to help us learn what it is we need to learn before he's ready to start answering. And I dare say that I don't think America should have been spared any of the things we've experienced in the last 14 months. I think there's an awful lot that's happened in our world today, not just because we live in a broken world because of sin, but because things have gotten so off course. We have slid so far down the slippery slope of immorality in America that I think we have deserved even worse than what we got, quite frankly, honestly. We don't always know God's will regarding the circumstances of our lives, including a pandemic that none of us saw coming, but God did. It's tough to know how and sometimes when God's going to answer. But this passage helps us to be confident that God will answer. Well, Paul gives us a really good word about the kind of 
things that happen in these kinds of heartfelt prayers. It's in the New Testament in Romans 8. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. I imagine that Daniel's prayer, even though much of it was recorded for us, so we know some of the things that were intelligible in his prayer, but I can imagine as heartfelt as that was, there were probably plenty of other times when Daniel was in these prayer times when he didn't even know what to pray for, and he was just groaning in his spirit. God knows what that means. He can interpret for us what it is we're feeling, even if we can't put it into words. There's no wrong or right way to pray. You just need to do it. You just need to talk to Jesus. And it's the prayer that sometimes may seem strange to other people. It's like I used to find when I would walk in early in the mornings and I'd be rubbing my eyes and I would see my mother at her little coffee table with an open Bible and a cup of coffee early in the morning and she would just be moving her lips and I couldn't even understand what she was speaking because it just sounded like mumbling to me, but she was talking to God. She was just talking to Jesus. And one time I asked her, I said, mom, what do you talk to Jesus about? She said, you and your sister. <laughs> this kind of talking to Jesus has powerful effect on God's people. And sometimes we don't even know what to pray for. And that's okay. Because God will take care of that for us too. You just need to talk to him. Well, based on the date when Daniel prays this prayer, we can understand that it may have been as few as two years away from the end of that 70 years of desolation. And it was as though Daniel was just pleading, begging God to say, God, you promised through your prophet Jeremiah. You promised. Now, please, I know even though we don't deserve it, make good on your promise. Not based on our righteousness, but based on your mercy. Please make good on your promise. And then we look at this type of prayer that he's praying. He's praying about God's holy character. He doesn't just launch into his petition first. He starts talking to God and exalting him because he knows that God's character is holy as compared to our sinful nature, which is definitely not holy. He says in verse four, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love. It's almost like he's reminding God that he is the God who keeps his covenant of love. As we saw just a few minutes ago in our growth encounter, God is a God of covenant love and his chesed, his loving kindness, his faithfulness is given out to generation after generation. And he keeps revisiting that covenant and he keeps fulfilling his promise, even though sometimes we're covenant breakers. He is faithful all the time. We can serve a faithful God and we can count on him. And then he's talking about our character and specifically he was talking about Israel's character, but that translates to us today. Even those people who've been walking with God for a long time, this was a quote from an archbishop in Chicago years ago. His name was Archbishop Joseph Bernardin. And he says, if we're honest, we must admit that much of our time is spent pretending. But when we turn to God in prayer, we must present our real selves, candidly acknowledging our strengths and our weaknesses and our total dependence on him. That's very true. Daniel was not pretending. <laughs> Man, he got real. He says, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets. You told us what to do, but we weren't listening. 
He admitted that God had told Israel, and not just one or two times, but many times, what should happen if they per persisted in rebelling and turning away from him. He had made it abundantly clear to them, and yet they had refused to listen. They'd been warned. They knew better. He says, he's done it not just to your leaders, but to all the people of the land. Everybody had clearly heard that. We knew better. And then he's confessing some things here. First, he confesses God's holy character. And then he confesses the sinful character. And then he confesses God's righteousness as well. He's saying, God, you are so right in your judgments. We deserve this. It's good that we're here where we are. We deserved it. And so if you were not a righteous judge, you wouldn't have done this, but you are a righteous judge. And we can trust that if you send us to the timeout chair, it's for good reason. I understand why we're here. We sinned, that's why we're here. All Israel has broken your law, Lord. He's not pretending, he's getting real and he's owning up to Israel's sin. And he just reiterates it again as though he's needing to make sure that God knows specifically what's on his heart. He says, because we haven't obeyed. <laughs> You are right in your judgments, Lord, says in verses 10 and then 11 through 15b. And then there's this petition. And this can become our petition to God as well, especially as I think of looking back over the last 14 months of our lives. We need to ask for God's forgiveness. I think every single one of the believers in this world need to ask for forgiveness for a number of things looking back at the last 14 months. We need to ask specifically for God's forgiveness. Daniel asks God to make good on his promise to Israel based on his character and based on the past examples of Israel's history, including getting Israel out of exile from Egypt. He was taking God all the way back to something that God had done for them, not to remind God, God knows it, but it's good for us to look back in our history, like what I did at the beginning of this message and said, do you remember what God did for us and how miraculous it was at the time? Those of us who were in that cafeteria at Lincoln High School, and I made that announcement of what God did to make that property possible for us, wow. That was outstanding. Not to mention the fact that even though we thought we were going to have to pay three or 400000 for a piece of property, God led us to the exact piece of property that we needed in the bullseye of the area where we thought he was going to do a great work in Ipsy Township, and we got it for $86,500 just slightly over what we thought we needed just for a down payment. Not to mention the fact that he had also sent a total stranger, I'd forgotten about this until just recently, to our midst one Sunday, and she was a total stranger. She was a part of a Korean church in Ann Arbor, and she felt prompted by the Holy Spirit to give us a gift toward our vision of a thousand bucks. So I'm sure there's probably a missing $500 that somebody else gave that I can't think of, but God was clearly showing us that we thought that if we took a baby step of 85,000 for a down payment, he said, oh, I'm gonna do you one better. I see your 85,000 and I'm gonna raise it by adding 450,000 to it. And I'm gonna give you the property for about the price of what you thought was gonna be just the down payment. God did all that. So we had to look back and be reminded that God is still a God of miracles. Daniel does this by looking back in Egypt and said, you got us out the first time when we were in timeout. You got us all the way out of that bondage and slavery, took us all the way through the wilderness. God, you've done that. We know you're capable. I don't know if he was trying to remind God or if he was trying to remind himself, but it was a good reminder regardless. 
So then he's saying, now our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, God, this is your glory that needs to be shared. Look with favor on your desolate sanctuary, looking back at the temple that had been messed up back in Jerusalem. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. He's saying it's for your glory, God. Israel should bear your name. We should reflect your glory to others. There can come a time, there should come a time, there will come a time when we're going to reflect your glory again. Please do it, God, please. Make good on your promise. You've all heard it before that justice is getting what we deserve. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. We know that to be true. Daniel knew that to be true. He was praying that. And it was God's mercy that was the basis of this prayer. He's saying, it's based on your mercy, God, that I can pray these things, because I know you're a merciful God. You've demonstrated it throughout our history. You've demonstrated it. And I know you can still be just as merciful today. Please pour out your mercy on us and still follow through on that promise that you made through Jeremiah. I'm going to share a true story that I read this week that caught my attention. And it spoke to me about the specificity of our prayers as Daniel was specific. There are two wrong ways of dealing with sin and struggles, and we need to learn how not to do that. We can learn that from a young lady named Rebecca Pippert in Cambridge, Mass, Massachusetts. She parked her car in the backyard, not too far from Harvard Square. She went to Harvard, and uh, she saw on one unique day two very different groups and saw two ways of how not to deal with sin and struggles. The first was a psychology class at Harvard, not exactly a Bible study group, <laughs> but then she went to a Bible study group afterwards, and that's where she encountered the second group. But in the first group, she noticed that the students were very honest. I mean, they were really candid. They were really open about their struggles. They were candid about how they felt about things. Somebody said, well, I'm really angry. I'm angry at this coworker or at this fellow student because they did such and such. Or they would say, I'm jealous of this other student because they got an A on whatever. They weren't in denial about their problems. They could identify the problems very accurately. They claimed them, they named them. However, Rebecca says, their openness about their problem was matched only by their uncertainty about where they could find the resources to overcome them. She said that these students would confess that they found it impossible to forgive someone who had hurt them. And rather than saying, but I found the source of my strength so that I can forgive and let go and learn to live in a winsome way, they said that they just talked about how they just lived in petty fear and retaliation. So they weren't solving anything. They were honest about their problem, but they just kept talking about their problems. She said, then she went to a Bible study group, literally just down the street from Harvard University. And she popped in on that in the evening. And she said, the opposite was true there. No one there spoke openly about the problems. There was a lot of talk about God's answers and his promises and his ability to solve problems, but they never talked about their problems. <laughs> She said the only time that somebody got a little bit of a hint of a problem was that they said, um, y'all be praying about so-and-so because they're struggling right now and they're in need of prayer. Nothing specific at all. Nobody mentioned any specifics about what they needed prayer for or why they needed that prayer. So the first group 
one group had all the problems and no solutions. The other group had all the solutions, but no problems. Fortunately for us, we have Daniel chapter nine, because he's showing us that we need to be really specific about our sin and our struggle. And if we are struggling, it's okay to pour our hearts out to him. Even if we can't put it into words and just have groanings in our prayer, but be as specific as we can. Admit that God has the ability to do something about it because of his righteous character. He has the power to do something about our sin and our struggle. And we need to ask him to hear our prayer and to act upon those prayers as well. He models us what we need. And I'm so grateful that he's done that. And I'm grateful that he's given us some encouragements, some ammo box blessings, some encouragement that will help us keep hiking because the view from the top is gonna to be so good. Let me share a couple of these encouragements. And moms, let me say that on this Mother's Day, I'm sure there are days when you feel completely flabbergasted and overwhelmed, and you may feel like a failure as a mom. I wanna encourage you, pray openly and honestly about your sin and your struggle. If you messed up, if you said things harshly to a kid and you wish you hadn't been quite so harsh, if you flew off the handle, tell God about it. Be specific, he'll understand, but also ask him to forgive you and ask him to do something in your parenting and in your motherhood that would help you be the kind of mom that you know you can be with his blessing and help. These kinds of specific prayers are good for all of us and especially for moms as well. Here are a couple of unexpected pandemic blessings that I stumbled across just this week. And I think God dumped them into the ammo box because we collectively needed these two blessings that I'm gonna tell you about. One has to do with a little shot in the arm related to our building fund. And I say the shot in the arm metaphor metaphorically again. As you all know, we've not been meeting in a building for 14 months because we were in a school. And uh, because we haven't been renting, and yet we have been, fortunately, you guys have been really committed to giving faithfully, we have been tucking away money into our rental accrual fund, because that's what we did before. We would tuck it away in a line item until they would send us an invoice, and sometimes they would wait two or three or four months. They weren't real on top of things with that. But we didn't want to get hit with a big bill after four months of rental and suddenly go, oh, where's that money? So that's just part of our good practice of stewardship is that we wanted to shove that money away until they needed it, and then we would send it to them. Well, we kept doing that. We've been doing it all since March 15th of 2020. So just this last week, we were able to put $18,500 into the building fund. It's an unexpected blessing that came out of a pandemic. Now, it still feels a little bit like a drop in the bucket from what we are going to need ultimately, but hey, it's more than we had at the beginning of 2020 in the building fund. And that for me is just one of those little tiny encouragements. It's God saying, I'm gonna work all things together for good for those who love me and who are called according to his purposes. And he's doing it and he's starting to do it even though it's incremental at first, it's little shots of encouragement to keep us hiking toward the top. Well, I think sometimes we need these times of being in timeout because God needs to teach us some lessons. In my sanctified imagination, 
I can see several years from now that many of us may be looking back to this time in history, the year of the pandemic, the year plus of the pandemic, and we're going to see many things that God was doing that we might not even yet be able to see today because he's still working on us. I think when we look back, we'll be able to see that God was working all things together for good. I think that we'll see that we and we as the church and we as the church capital C worldwide needed a season of refining. I think we'll see that we needed a refining process in our character individually. I think we'll see that we needed to learn how to pray with a contrite spirit and what that looks like and how to admit that we have failed to put God first in our lives in many areas, just as Israel was realizing. I think that we'll look back and we'll see that we needed to have all the crutches just knocked out from underneath us so that we could learn what it means to lean the full weight of our trust on Jesus Christ. And that maybe we were depending an awful lot on ourselves or our intellect or our business acumen or whatever else we were putting our faith and trust in. I think that we'll look back and see that just maybe we needed to learn that the church is made up of people who have God's spirit living within them and that they are not limited by a building or even a lack of a building. Maybe we'll look back and see how we really needed to learn how to treat one another in times of trial. So people would clearly identify us as the body of Christ by the way we love each other and care for one another. Quite honestly, I think some of us are still being refined in this area. Maybe we'll look back and see that we needed to learn how to pray with a contrite heart and to admit that we've spent a lot of time defending our own personal preferences instead of laying down our lives for other people, which is what Christ said is the true measure of love. Maybe we'll look back and see that we needed to learn what true worship is really all about and that it's not about our personal preferences. It's about exalting the Lord and pointing others to him as the ultimate source of salvation and satisfaction. Although our own building project feels like it's a long way off, just like the rebuilding of Jerusalem probably felt like a long way off to Daniel. When it finally happens, and I'm confident that it will someday in God's time, I'm confident that there will be some amazing stories of God's grace, mercy, and provision. I found this quote just this morning. It's from Hudson Taylor, the kind of legendary missionary to China. He said, there are three stages to every great work of God. First, it is impossible. Then it's difficult. And then it's done. It has felt impossible. I'm hoping, I'm praying that we'll get to the point soon when it will become difficult. And then ultimately, eventually, in God's time, it will be done. And then I got a second blessing, an unexpected email just this last week as well. And it was from the director of facilities from the Lincoln School District regarding our return to Child's Elementary School. And he started asking for a list of all the items he needed from us so that they can pitch our return to the superintendent and some others who are making that decision 
and we returned all the information they asked for just on Friday afternoon. So we haven't had a, a chance to hear back from them yet, but I'm hopeful that they will say, yes, this looks like a good plan for returning so that you will mitigate the spread of COVID and we're reaching far closer now toward community immunity than we were even a month ago. So I'm praying that it's gonna be not too many more weeks before we'll be back meeting in person in what to us has been our temporary home, our tabernacle, so to speak, because we still haven't quite gotten over to the promised land at 7733 Bemis Road, but that's in God's good time as well. Well, Daniel's prayer for Jerusalem, I think ought to drive us to our knees. As we seek God's help and to seek his will with a contrite spirit. And I'm going to plead with you to plead with God the way I've been pleading with God this week and be honest and real about our sin and our struggle. And ask him to reveal everything that needs to be revealed so that we can really start to see him work in the next few weeks. God had a future for the children of Israel. Part of that future included sending the Messiah because he's so merciful that he made a way, even though the covenant breakers kept breaking the covenant, he fulfilled his covenant through Jesus Christ, who made a way for every sinner to be reconciled with him. And I think in our tiny little puny corner of the world, he's gonna make a way for us to be participants of the redemptive story he is writing in history. And I think he's gonna finally show us a way forward and that we need to be available to him and open to being the real church that he's been refining over this last 14 months. So I want us to humble ourselves. Based on his mercy, I want us to reach out to him and ask him to fulfill that promise, not because of any good that we've done, but because of his righteousness. Let's pray. Father, you're teaching us so much through Daniel's experience and Israel's experience. And I pray that the lessons you have for us will not fall on deaf ears. And I pray that all of us would pray with contrite hearts and open ourselves to the lessons you have for us so that we can move forward as a rebuilt new church, that you will rewild us, so to speak, as we're replanted back in child's that we'll be the kind of church that really reflects your glory because we're learning some things about what the church should really be about. And that we'll be honest in asking your forgiveness for building things up much bigger than they should have been when they should have been overlooked because we needed to keep you at the forefront. I pray that we'll be honest and that when you convict us of sin, we'll repent of those sins and that you will turn us into the kind of refined church that you can really use effectively in our community and around the world through our mission support and through all the people who can be affected through a ripple effect of the good news being shared by people who know what that good news can do for folks because we've been changed by it ourselves. And I pray these things in the name of the all-powerful God and his son, Jesus Christ.